Chapter 23 of The Heart of Hyacinth by an Otto Watana With stealing step, morning crept up on Matsushima. The sky had scarcely paled to a slumberous grey, ere the soft yellow streaks of the sun shot upward in the east, tinting all the land with its glow. The morning star was poised on high, as though lingering to watch the sun's awakening. Then, softly, it twinkled out into the vapour. Hyacinth stirred on her strange couch. Her eyelashes quivered sleepily against her chest. One little hand opened a moment, then clutched the dew-wet moss. The touch of the unfamiliar grass against her hand startled her, and the girl opened her eyes. They looked upward at the softly bluing sky. A breeze of morning swept across her brow, moving a little truant curl. She sat up and stared about her wonderingly. Then remembrance coming to her, she sat still, silently watching the sunrise. For some moments she remained in this absorbed silence, and mechanically she raised her hands to her head and sought to smooth the soft hair that the breeze had ruffled. How still it is, she said. Then a moment after, Oi, the rock is so hard, and it is chilly, she shivered. Then moving along the rock, she came to the edge and began to clamber down. There were clefts in the rock which Comer had cut as a boy, and she had no difficulty in descending. She dropped to the ground as lightly as a bird. Turning about, a sudden little cry escaped her lips. She stood, as if rooted to the ground, regarding with dilated eyes the figure before her. He did not speak. His eyes were upon her face, and he was watching her startled expression with an eager glance. Then she took a step towards him, holding out both her hands. Komazawa, she cried, it is you. He did not touch her outstretched hands, and she shrank back as if struck. You too, she said, and her hand sought her head bewilderedly. I too, he repeated stupidly. Yes, she cried, I understand why you are here, why you do not speak to me and embrace me as of old. Ah, it is all very plain. What is very plain, he asked, still keeping his distance from her. Why, you are here. They have sent you to find me, to give me over to those strangers. It is cruel, cruel, she cried, covering her face with her hands. It is not true, he cried, going to her and taking her hands from her face and holding them closely in his own. She did not seek to release them, but permitted them to remain passively in his, as she looked up into his face through her tears. It is not true, he repeated softly. Yet... You were not glad to see me, she said tremulously. Ah, but I was, he replied in that same soft, subtle voice, which somehow vaguely thrilled her. You did not speak to me. Your face, your sudden appearance, startled me. I could not speak for a moment, he said. Yet even now, she said, catching her breath, you do not embrace me. He dropped her hand slowly and drew back a pace. It would not be right now he said huskily. I do not understand, she said. Have we not always embraced each other? We were children before, he said. But now embraces are for for lovers only. She looked at him a long moment in wandering silence, a slow pink glow spreading gradually over her face. Then she repeated, slowly, almost falteringly, For, for lovers? He turned his eyes away from her face. She put a timid hand upon his arm. 
Yet, she said, Yamashiro Yoshida was my lover, and, and we did not embrace. Oh, no, thank the heavens, he cried impetuously, again possessing himself of her hands. You are safe from such things here, little one, yet you have much to learn, much, and I... His eyes became purple, and his chin squared in strong resolution. I'm going to teach you, he said. Teach me, she faltered. What will you teach me? The meaning of love, he said, the words escaping him, as if he could not control them. You will be my lover, she said, timid wonder in her eyes. He could not speak for some moments, then, ah, well, what have I been saying? Little one, you do not know. You cannot dream of the extent of your own innocence. I would be less than man if your words did not pierce my heart and thrill my whole being, yet I am not altogether selfish, no, though I have spent years of my life among those who were so. I will not take advantage of the little one. She shall have every opportunity her birth, her beauty, demands. You will go with your father, Hyacinth. Nay, do not interrupt me. It will be for your good. You must see this other world to which you rightfully belong. And when you have come to years of womanhood, you can decide for yourself. I am already a woman, she said tremulously. Only a child, a little girl, he said softly. A poor little one who has been imprisoned so long she has come to believe her own cage is gilded and will not take her freedom when the doors are opened. Earnestly she looked into his face. And if I go to the West Country, you two will go with me, will you not, Coma? He shook his head, smiling sadly. No, I would not have the right. I will not go then, she said simply. If they should force me, I can be as brave as others. I would take my life. No, you would not do so, for then you would break our hearts. Yet you have no pity for mine, she said, near to tears now. Poor little heart, he whispered tenderly. After a moment she inquired quietly, and did you come with my august parent, then? On the same steamer, yes. It was an accidental meeting. Ah, then, you did not come back for the purpose of helping them? No, I had another purpose. I came to break your betrothal with Yamashiro Yoshida. Well, they have saved you that trouble, she said, sighing. He regarded her keenly. Why do you sigh? You have regrets? Yes, she admitted, for if they had not cast me off... I could have remained in Japan. Now, her voice faltered, and she turned her head away. Now, he repeated. Ah, yes, she said. I begin to see there is nothing else to be done. I am resigned. You are resigned, he repeated, disappointment showing in his transparent face. Yes, she said, with a fleeting upward glance at his face. She suddenly laughed, quite merrily. Come, she said. Let us go home. I must... Humbly submit myself to the august will of my honourable parent. Comer never said a word. She suddenly laughed quite merrily. Come, she said, let us go home. I must humbly submit myself to the august will of my honourable parent. Comer never said a word. Manlike, he was regretting his late words of advised self-sacrifice. Chapter 24 it was a slow pilgrimage homeward that these two young people made, for they stopped at every familiar place on the hills and by the bay that they known as children, and like children they dipped their faces in the shining water of the little brook that wound its way around the hills and fell in a tiny waterfall below into the bay. 
They slipped into a darkened temple, touching with reverent, loving fingers the deserted images within. At the little village on the shore, where they had lived together as children, they halted and lunched at a tiny tavern, whose garden was the shore of the bay. And when they had struck the road that led to Sendai, they turned their steps backward and wandered along the white beach of Matsushima. The girl, whose heart had been so heavy for days with the thought of leaving her home, now with the light-heartedness of a child, seemed to have forgotten all her troubles and to revel in the joy of living. But a gentle melancholy was upon Komazawa. It was with something of reproach that he answered the merry chatter of his companion. Yonder, she said, pointing across the bay, while her long sleeve, falling back, disclosed her soft, dimpled arm. It is the naked island, Adakajima. See, it has not changed at all, Koma. Do you remember those times when you would carry me on your shoulder and step from rock to rock in the bay until you had reached Adakajima? Yes, he said, watching her eyes. She looked up at him sideways, then drooped her lashes downward. You would not do the same today, she said. You are not the same child, he replied. Ah, no, she sighed. I am changed, alas. Why, alas? The change does not please you, she said. Ah, but it does. Yet you are kinder to me then. He did not reply. She raised her face. Is it not so? Perhaps, he replied. Then you must have loved me more then, she said. No, that is not true. No? You still love me then? I cannot answer you, he said. If I were to tell you my heart, you would not believe me, because you would not understand. Ah, but I would, indeed, she said softly. You are innocent, he said, regarding her thoughtfully. But you are a coquette by nature. What is that? One who makes a jest of love. And what is love? Your heart will tell you some day. Yet I would have your heart tell me now. Love is a rosy pain of the heart. Then I do not feel it she said, stretching out her little pink fingers over her heart. For mine thrills and beats with joyous palpitations. Yet, she looked up at him seriously, perhaps that too is another of the moods of this love. Perhaps, he said, love is capricious. Hyacinth sighed and looked out wistfully across the bay. It is a strange word, she said vaguely. Yes, strange, he said. I have lived years in England, but I had to return to Nippon to learn its meaning. Yet you have been back but a day, she said tremulously. And love is born in a moment, he whispered, and took her hand softly in his own. She withdrew it quickly, and turned from him in a sudden panic of incomprehensible fear. The morning had wrought such a change in her. We must be going home, she said. Nay, we must hurry. And after that they walked homeward swiftly in silence, each afraid to speak to the other. Chapter 25 As Hyacinth passed up the little garden path, she saw a familiar face at the open shoji of the guest room. It is Yamashiro Yoshida, she said to Koma. What does he want? her companion demanded, with such unexpected harshness that the girl broke into a silvery peal of laughter. The gods alone know. We shall see. Ah, but he is welcome. Aoi met them at the door. Her poor little anxious face hurt the girl more than if she had heaped her with reproaches. With an unwanted tenderness, she threw her arms about her mother's neck and pressed her face against hers 
whispering over and over again, How I love you. It is so good to see you again. Yoshida is within, said Aoi when the girl had released her. He comes alone. What? she cried in mock surprise. The brave Yoshida ventures out alone. Well, and what does he want? Nay, he would not tell me. He will only speak to you, little one. Very well. Let him speak. And she pushed the doors gaily aside and entered the Yoksashishi. She was not aware that Comer had entered also until, following the glance of Yoshida, she perceived Comer behind her. Then her voice rippled merrily and she spoke affectionately to Yamashiro Yoshida. Why, Yamashiro Yoshida, what brings you here? I had not dreamed of the blessings the god had in store for me. I am so affected by the light of your presence that I am rendered speechless. Which last was quite untrue, as both the young men could have attested. Yoshida bowed himself to the ground, and now oblivious of the presence of the intruder, Comer, he replied, Ah, beauteous one, I am come to bring you a most insignificant present, and to beseech you to pardon the rudeness of my family, and to permit her betrothal to continue. The girl took the gift slowly, and held it on the palm of her hand. It was a very exquisitely lacquered box, and she knew without opening it, that it contained some very valuable complexion powder. Her lover, however, could not have told from her face the effect of his words and gift upon her. Her eyes were inscrutable, her lips pressed closely together. She seemed to be examining the box with critical eyes, as though she were weighing its value. Without a word of response, she suddenly crossed by the tokenona and drew out from underneath it a fairly large box. Its contents she removed slowly, setting the articles in a semicircle on the floor about her. Soon she was quite encircled by the contents. Then, with one little pointing finger, she spoke. This obi, Yamashiro Yoshida, was your first gift. It was given on the day of our betrothal. I have never worn it. It was too rich for one so small as I. She looked full into the face of Yoshida, and then, with a fleeting glance, she saw the face of Comer. She smiled ever so sweetly. These pins, Yoshida, are costly but murderous appearing. Once they pricked my head. She stuck them into the sash of her obi. These bracelets, she said, are just exactly like the ones you gave to the geisha morning glory. She laid them beside the pins. This kimono, honorable Yoshida, is so heavy its weight would break the back of one so humble as I. Lady, said Yamashiro Yoshida haughtily, you make a jest of my gifts. I assure you, I do not appreciate it. Why do you thus enumerate them? If it is not ungracious. Sweetly, the girl swept all the gifts into a heap together, then, rising with them in her arms, she crossed to Yoshida. Yamashiro Yoshida, she said, I never loved you, yet I betrothed myself to you because of the magnificence of your gifts. I was an ignorant child. Then you and your august parents cast me off because of my honorable origin, which you despised. Now you come to attempt to buy me with another gift. But I am no longer a silly child, and I give you back not only that new gift, but all, 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 take them, take them quickly. She thrust them into his arms. Angrily he attempted to refuse them. They fell crashing to the floor. A man's rich voice suddenly broke out into laughter. It is an insult, cried Yamashiro Yoshida furiously, trampling upon his gifts, half by accident, half blindly. He glared at the sweetly smiling face of the girl, glaring at the laughing Komazawa, then he clapped his hands violently. My shoes! 
He fairly shouted at Mome as she answered his summons. He kicked his feet into his shoes, stamped on the floor furiously, then turned on his heel and left the house in a fine rage. Chapter 26 As the irate Yoshida vanished through the doors, Hyacinth clapped her hands with a childish gesture of delight. She looked at Coma, now regarding her gravely, then, with a dimpling smile, she sat down on the mats among the despised gifts. These she tossed about gaily. He has gone away, she said, mad as three devils of Osaka, but what matter? He has left the gifts. Such a silly lover, such a foolish one. She began to collect the gifts, folding the obi in the rich kimono. You are not going to keep them, said Comer, standing over her and looking down at her gravely. Not going to keep them? Why? The lover refused to accept their return. Yes, but you don't want them. But I do, she protested, patting the folded obi lovingly. Why, you told him you did not. Oh, she said airily, that's just foolish pride. I was just talking through my head. She laughed mischievously. That's little slang I learned at Mission House, she said. I want you to send those presents back to this Yomashiro. Send all these lovely presents back? She shook her head. Could not do it, she said. Too great sacrifice. I will buy you all the things you want. She stared at him amazedly. You? Yes, he replied, flushing. I, why not? Well, but, she regarded him doubtfully. You are not rich like Yamashiro Yoshida. How do you know? he asked quietly. She regarded him dubiously. When I get those presents from you, she said, then I will return these. That right? She pulled the box over to the center of the floor and thrust the gifts into it snapping the lid down tightly. Then, going to the door, he called for Mume to take the box at once to the Yamashiro's. Having disposed of this question, he turned his attention again to Hyacinth. She was sitting in the center of the room, her chin on her hand, pensively regarding him. How? she said. Are you going to make me those gifts? If I am to go away to that west country, and you will not go with me. You are going to stay here, he said, and she knew from the expression in his eyes and the tone of his voice that he meant what he said. But what of my august parent? Will you follow my advice exactly? She nodded in assent. When he comes, you are to make a request of him? Yes. Ask him, beg him even, to permit you to remain one month in Sendai with us. Then tell him that, after that, you will go wherever your rightful guardian shall direct. He will not consent she said, depression seizing upon her. These august barbarians are hard as rock. They never move. No, never. Who told you that? Nobody, she said. But I observe. Where did you observe it? He persisted. She looked at him sideways a moment without replying, and she dimpled and smiled. In the mission house people and in you, Coma, she said. Promise me that you will make the request. Very well, I will make that foolish promise, but, she thrust out a little red underlip and a bewitching pout, one month will soon come to an end, and after that, after that, you will leave the rest to me, he said, 